Berserker Cast, episode number nine A Thing with Feathers Review. Golden Spiral Media presents Berserker Cast, a podcast dedicated to falling skies on TNT. Each week we discuss the action and drama that unfolds as Tom Mason, Captain Weaver, the Berserkers, and the rest of the Second Mass fight to win back the planet from the alien overlords. Call in your thoughts about each episode at 304-837-2278 or email feedback at goldenspiralmedia.com. And now, Berserker Cast. Earthlings, welcome back to Berserker Cast. I am the one with the squiggly wiggly alien in my arm, otherwise known as Daryl. A squiggly wiggly alien, yes. as opposed to the other kind of alien. Well, there are apparently many, many types of aliens. <laughs> apparently, and I'm the normal one, Emily. Who <laughs> normal? Yes, keep telling yourself that. Who doesn't do anything unusual ever. <laughs> if, you, if you're not a part of the live show tonight, folks, you have missed out because <laughs> Emily, Emily combined uh, the V for Vendetta mask. Guy Fox. The Green Bay Packers cheesehead thing. Hat. And her glasses. She made sure to put her glasses <laughs> on. And did you have headphones on for a while too? You, you I couldn't had my have earbuds in. earbuds because yeah. I was like, you couldn't have got your headphones over the cheese head. It was quite a look. Fortunately, if you missed that, I have got a couple of screen captures <laughs> of that that I will save for a rainy day. I made sure to put on my biggest smile for you all. <laughs> yes, you look good with a mustache, just like your mom. Hey, she took a long time to groom that mustache. <laughs> You can't even grow one, so... No, I can't. I can't. Your mom has me uh, bested in that category. She's from Wisconsin, I think it's... or Is she from Wisconsin originally, or, or... No, I thought all of you guys were originally from there, but... Nope. You just like the Packers. I just like the Packers. Like is kind of an understatement. Yeah. I would probably say obsessed, mm-hmm. but I, I wouldn't get into particulars. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't like labels or anything. So. Well, we like labels. We like labels. We love labels. We 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 love labels. We love labels. <laughs> we love labels uh, such as directed by Dolomin Doc. Dolomin Dolomin Savid. <laughs> I can't talk. We're in for a hoot tonight, folks. I haven't Dolomin even had any Saved alcohol. And Ryherd Mostyn, <laughs> otherwise known as David Solomon, who also directed Strange Brew. Yes, written by Ryan Motzherd, and I don't know what else he's written, and you didn't put it in here. I think he worked a lot on Battlestar Galactica, but I had I wasn't familiar with any of his work otherwise. I think this this was his first time writing a Falling Skies episode. Okay, so but I knew David Solomon had been back for an episode that I really liked. I couldn't remember which one it was, but it was indeed Strange Brew. I think there was also an earlier one from that season. But next week. It's going to be a good episode because Greg Beeman is directing it. So I'm not familiar with him. Has he done anything? Don't make me come over there. <laughs> oh, I love antagonizing you almost <laughs> as much as I love talking about falling skies. Tonight we're talking about 
Episode 8 of Season 4, entitled A Thing with Feathers, which is another one of Emily's mom's nicknames. But I don't think that's where they drew their inspiration for this episode. What do you think? You got any ideas? I got an idea. I I actually knew this one. I was very proud of myself because last week, you know, we were talking about, um, what was the name of the last week's episode? Last week's episode was Saturday Night Fever. No, it wasn't. Saturday Night Massacre. <laughs> Saturday Night Massacre. Bill wrote in and informed us of the whole Nixon tie-in, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. luckily he wrote back about the one last week because I, I even after this explanation, I'm having a hard time making or connecting all the dots. It's a little bit too vague for me, and he's probably going to be like, oh, she's an idiot. But anyway, Bill, thank you for writing in. This is what Bill said. Uh, He said that we might have hit on the meaning of it inadvertently, actually, and to clarify, when we look at the principal characters who died in that episode, we see that there were three, Dr. Kadar, Lourdes, and Tector. If you look at the principals who got taken out at Saturday Night Massacre during the Nixon-Watergate scandal, there were three as well. They were independent special prosecutor Archibald Cox, Attorney General Elliot Richardson, and Deputy Attorney General William Ruckelhaus. I believe the connection is that there were three principles in each case. So even though it makes total sense and I can totally see where he's coming from, mm-hmm. those are not the kind of parallels I do well with. So thank you very much, Bill, for following up on that. Indeed. This week, however, a thing with feathers is taken, I'm pretty sure, from a Emily Dickinson poem. And I am assuming that you're familiar with this poem, so I don't have to read it. Right. I, I, you know, I try to shut out all things Emily, so I'm probably not familiar <laughs> oh, with man. it. Man, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of literature in this episode, so you oh, better buckle in. I have the right co-host for that. I can just <laughs> sip my coffee and and come back for the uh, closing announcement. Right. <laughs> right. The rest of the podcast okay, so- is all you. <laughs> <laughs> I prepared a lost in I mean a falling skies in literature segment. <laughs> I hope you don't mind. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh basically, I'm just going to read the first stanza of this poem. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. Basically, Emily Dickinson's poem is kind of like talking about how a bird personifies hope in a way that it it just persists without really any encouragement that the, the sound of a bird chirping exists even in the most desolate circumstances and that w- even you know in the midst of all of this trauma there is just something similar from their old lives even something that resonates with uh, something buried deep a form of happiness even and I mean she's never been one for straight out happiness but it's interesting that you know in spite of all of the poems she has there is still light in some of her poems so mm. but okay so this might have been an inadvertent easter egg as well okay but on when i when i post the blog for this episode or when you do there is going to be a picture <laughs> you know with the 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 featured image picture or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I didn't notice it until I was preparing the image, but I zoomed in and there was a bird on the chalkboard. So this the picture is taken from when they are all when when they're observing uh, Maggie and Ben lying on on their stomachs getting their trans or getting the transplant done or whatever. Right. And there's a chalkboard kind of behind Cochise. And it looks like there is a bird 
flying, or just like spread out, its wings spread out. It, it was really boxy and stuff, but I was like, whoa, and I'm like scrolling and going, hmm, this is interesting, I wonder what that means. So I don't know if it was a tie-in to a poem or just the name of the episode or what, but mm. I, well, it also, cool it looked it looked a little bit more meaningful than just a bird. It looked more mechanical almost. Are you looking at it now? Well, to me, it looks like there's sketches of like the bird's eye view of the city when they're planning their attacks. Really? Because it looks like, well, I don't know. We don't have to get into particulars, but I just thought it was interesting. Interesting, huh? Maybe maybe I was just reading this poem <laughs> and then had gone to the image or something. And <laughs> well, Doesn't Maggie have like a, a feathered tattoo on her? She, I think she does on her back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There could be a lot of tie-ins. Yeah, and... <laughs> yeah. Well, I wouldn't have picked up the, the episode title. Again, I don't, sometimes I, I research these and sometimes I, I don't. And honestly, before I have even had a chance to think about it, I saw you had already added these notes to our, to our notes, the stanza that you read and a little bit more even. And I, I just was so glad that you discovered that you probably knew it off the top of your head knowing you, but it's a, it's a great tie-in and I'm so glad you picked up on it. I couldn't remember if it was Emily Dickinson, but I do remember having read the poem at one point. So. Mm, mm. But I also like poetry, unlike some people we know. Yeah, those losers. <laughs> Uncivilized rubbish. <laughs> what do they teach you down in Oklahoma anyway? They teach us poetry. to hunt for catfish with our bare hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I were lying, but I'm really not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not making this stuff up, folks. All right. Well, let's move into the rest of the episode. Let's start with uh, Team Tom. We did get a couple of little uh, segments or factions, I guess is probably a better word this week. Again, because Lexi left last week, so we have a little bit of that. But even then, Tom and Dingon being separated from the rest of the group for almost the entire episode causes us to kind of evaluate this in a sectioned off manner again. Where do you want to start? Hmm. I don't know. Okay. I guess let's start here. Okay. When, when the episode kicks off, Hal and Weaver are standing at the door waiting to see whether it's safe to come out. And then they come out and Anne shouts to everyone, look for survivors and all of that. And at this point, like right from the get go, I wanted them to find Tector's charred body mm-hmm. and think that it's Tom. Yeah. And partly because I wanted them to think he was dead, but also because it would have confirmed to me that the Volm, that Scorch, would have thought it was Tom as well. Gotcha. But I don't think they ever even found Tector's body. They found they found Tom's scarf. Mm-hmm. So he must be buried under the rubble somewhere. You know, it's so weird because at the end of the episode, they are just fine with the idea that Tector is dead. They They pour one out for him among the others that they're pouring one out for. And I thought that was odd. It was like, we never heard them go, come on, where's Tector? He was with Tom. So I wonder if there wasn't a deleted scene or something where they found oh. that. But, but but even then, what would have made them think that it was Tector versus Tom? You know, because they were fairly, well, They it was, it was, some were hopeful like Matt, but others were not as hopeful like Pope, but that's no surprise. You know, right. with Tom, they were going back and forth on, you know, where, where Tector, there didn't ever seem to be any question that he was dead. And I'm not sure why. That's a very good point. There were a lot of odd things like that throughout the episode, and I think that's probably what helped to contribute to your general dislike of it, but I didn't like how they didn't find his body at all. I was like, okay, well, (laughs) if they don't find him, at least they'll 
I don't even know what I thought. Yeah. There there definitely are. And and you mentioned it. I think that might even be the second time you've mentioned that I wasn't crazy about this episode. It's one of my lower ratings, although I I brought it up a point and a half after I (laughs) rewatched it today. (laughs) It was pretty low. Um, But these are some of those things. I mean, even when Anne found the scarf of Tom, she was like, this is his scarf. Wasn't this the one he was wearing when he was in the ghetto with you? And I'm like, you were in the ghetto. I mean, don't don't say that line. Say I saw him wearing this when he came when we met after the ghetto. Or don't you know? Don't ask Weaver mm. if, if this was what he was wearing in the ghetto because you weren't there. So that line doesn't make any sense to me for you to know that information if you're going to put it in that context. So maybe I'm being a little nitpicky, but there was enough of that stuff where I was just like, oh, too many stretches are being made here in this yeah. episode. I definitely agree with that because there were a lot of things that I was just going that wouldn't happen. He wouldn't go there. She wouldn't say that, <laughs> yeah. but there were other things that made me bump it up. But good, and I I love these. By by the way, if you if you're new to Golden Spiral Media, you just picked us up for this podcast for the first time. We have we, I feel like um, that these times where we disagree on an episode can make for some of our our funnest discussion. And even though I I may be down on this episode, it certainly isn't any indication that I'm down on the on the series as a as a whole. Or you know, it just. For whatever reason, it didn't hit me the mm-hmm. way the way it usually does. But we'll talk about it, and, and maybe you'll have swayed me to your direction by the time this is all over. It's That's been your challenge. going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> challenge. Well, there were a lot of components, I think, that they really needed to fit together in order for this episode to be a launching pad, because that's really what it felt like. Sure it did. And uh, I don't even know where to take this next, because... There are a lot of things I want to talk about all at once, but we'll take it incrementally here. Okay. One of of the most intriguing things to me, and I just started to see it more in this episode for some reason, is Matt's role in the community. Because at first I'm going... He's, his role is completely pointless. He has just as little to do now as he did before (laughs) when he was trapped in the rehabilit... or the reconditioning center. Right. But on the other hand, it's almost like he's he's changing very slowly. And I can't really, and I think we were talking about this even a couple episodes ago, you know, even when Tom is taken captive by those brothers and he follows, he and Weaver follow them and rescue him or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, there seems to be something changing inside of him. He's either becoming more focused, more determined, or maybe he's just growing up and it's part of Teenage Rebellion. But I, I, I'm, I'm just wondering if it has something to do with the reconditioning center and if they did actually change him biologically some way. Because a lot of what we're, we're seeing happening to him is kind of what was happening to Ben. Not physically, but just emotionally and how he is accepting or going after responsibility, maybe you could say. Hmm. I don't know. Are you seeing any of that at all, or am I just t- making stretches here? I don't think you're making stretches, but I hadn't necessarily seen any of that since the specific episode that you're talking about. What I'm continuing to see, though, is is his relationship with Weaver to be really almost the strongest relationship that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, partially because it seems like Tom is always out in, or in some sort of situation, and Weaver is the one that Matt has left behind there to help this help with the situation. And this time mm. was, was again, uh, no different, you know, here have this Hershey's candy bar. 
Bling. You know, Brought to you so by Hershey's. <laughs> and we appreciate Hershey's. I just, I did like the more subtle reference we got a couple of weeks ago with the kisses versus this in your face, perfectly glistening Hershey candy bar in the middle of a alien invaded post-apocalyptic world. <laughs> but my point is, no, sorry, sorry. I didn't manage to melt in my pocket. Yeah. After the explosion. Right. <laughs> um, the, my, what I'm seeing though is, is Matt needs to have a role and I thought his role this this week was really a role of hope. And and yeah. Barb even said something about that. She said that she loved Matt in this episode and that um, she felt like the episode was a transitionary episode, which you just mentioned. But she also felt like Matt was kind of a, a symbol of hope where he was the one that was just insistent that they not give up on Tom. And really, it seemed like some of, she didn't say this, but I think we would all probably agree that if it hadn't been for Matt, I mean he was the one that kind of kept them going because they didn't want to tell the kid his dad was dead. So it was, it was nice that he was the one kind of driving that. Yeah. Although, that punch he gave Pope. Yeah. Was <laughs> I was going to say, although Pope wasn't afraid to tell, to say that his dad was dead, but he didn't realize Matt was there. You know, and Pope is another one who just is just turning on us. I mean, last episode he was all, you got to stick with the Masons if you want to survive. And, right. and this episode, even, I mean, the way he dealt with Sarah, even when she, when she quote, had the yips. I thought yips was a, was a euphemism for diarrhea, but apparently <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I think it just means you're on edge, like a yippy okay. dog. Okay, yippy. But when she had the yips, <laughs> no, I'm not going to be able to, uh, you know, it just, I don't know. There, it was, there was something very different about, I mean, even the way he said, sorry, Matt, I didn't know you were there. He was very calm. He didn't retaliate. And the, Old, I don't know, maybe just in the way that he had handled Hal at the beginning of the season, I expected him to kind of jump up and push the kid around and say, just because you're a Mason, don't think you can get away with. Yeah, but Matt's know. only like 12. I mean, you can't really get away 13. with that. 13, okay. You know, he's... I'm no, like, yeah. My, you know, so I, I... But I... It wouldn't have surprised me if, if Pope would have gotten up and pushed him. Now, Pope would never have hit him, or they wouldn't have allowed no. that to happen or be written in the show, I don't think. No. But has every Mason punched Pope now? Is, was that the <laughs> remaining Mason, or is, is Ben still, uh, has Ben done that yet? Well, it's at least three out of four. I can't yeah. recall a time when Ben had, hmm, well, maybe his turn is coming up here soon. We can only hope. <laughs> we can, we can only, only hope. hope. <laughs> Yeah, because everybody wants to punch Pope, but you also want him on your team. He's just that kind of guy. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And, I mean, he proved it. Well, I don't know if he really had a chance to prove it in this episode, but he was able to pull the reins on Sarah again in in this episode. And, you know, after last week when I said, oh, I finally understand Sarah. Yeah, I hate her again. (laughs) I can't. I mean, uppers, downers, that speech she made at the end, it just felt so contrived and, like, I think you were saying a couple of weeks ago, just they're forcing this relationship and it's so awkward. I literally have to like cover my eyes as things are happening because I just can't take it. (laughs) I felt the same way when, because everyone else was like, detector, he was awesome. Pour one out to Lourdes. May you be with the stars. Pour one out. Well, I'd like to give one up to myself and here's my... (laughs) Two minute long story about myself. I'm like, really? That's not what this moment's all about. But go ahead, <laughs> you awkward thing, you. <laughs> she is pretty much the reason for my point seven five drop in a rating. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. Sc- I mean, 
Well, I'm I'm not going to just turn into negative Nancy here, but I, that was another scene that I didn't particularly care for. Yeah. No, and I, I didn't either because, like you said, it was a really good moment where they're remembering everybody that was lost in the gas main explosion. And then, <laughs> I mean, I understand her saying goodbye to her old self. Sure. And probably from an addict's point of view, that's a huge step to take. But it would help so much more if we liked the character. <laughs> Probably. And and maybe this is going to sound a little bit contradictory to something that I'm going to say about Dingon here in a little bit, but maybe if we had even known that she was an addict, I mean, was it a surprise? Mm-hmm. No, but I mean, we didn't really have any context to really appreciate that. So it just seemed unnecessary. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Well, let's talk about old Dingon and, and Tom down there. Tom. I, you know, okay. So they're, Buried in the rubble, Tom's lighter has gone out. That had to take some time. I guess Dingon had been knocked out all that time. Doesn't matter. That's not a big deal. Dingon starts yelling. Uh, Tom finds him. They have a nice little moment where where Tom helps him. You know, Dingon was a little distraught in that scene. That didn't really bother me. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the later stuff definitely bothered me, but uh, I thought this was a good scene between the two guys, and and now they're in it together type of thing. But yeah. There was a lot of crying in this episode I know. by men. In we particular. needed Jack Shepard. That would have really <laughs> rounded it out. Uh, uh, well, okay, so maybe this is a good time to bring up that just before we started recording, Barb sent us an email. Did you read that email at all? Uh, the one that was directed to you? Yeah, Emily's challenge of the week or yeah, something. I've got it pulled up right here. So the photo that she put in there, I'm pretty sure is Dante's Inferno, well, okay. at least a version of it. I don't. I think it's actually from a video game. I'm not positive on that, but um, have you read Dante's Inferno? Uh, I have not. Not not completely for sure. I'm not even sure how much of it I've read. Okay, because I think I think you read a little bit of it in school. Not much because it's pretty graphic but it was written in like the 14th century so mm-hmm. it's still considered a classic but what i really liked about this and thank you barb for sending it because the picture she sent us and i'll put this in the show notes was just a depiction of one of the nine circles of hell it looked like one of the nine circles of hell i think it was limbo where uh it just looks like i think it's minos who guards the gates at the second circle of hell and he he judges all the sinners and just determines at which level of hell they go to depending on the depth of their sin or the type of their sin, really, because as you get deeper into hell, the reason that you are there differs, you know. Okay. But So it just looks like there's a lot of pain and torture going on. This She said that this looks a lot like the torture chamber that Lexi was showing to Ben and... Uh, when when they were at that warehouse or whatever that she had brought him into. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was very, very accurate. I'm not exactly sure what's going on in this photo. It kind of looks like there's a there's a ravine down the middle maybe and people are trying to get onto the surface. But it also looks like there, there are... I mean, it just it looks really nasty. It looks painful and like it's supposed to be hell. So, yeah. you know, long story short, that was a really long explanation. Didn't need it, but... 
anyway, what I really liked about this is that it was it was a reminder of kind of what has been going on all season. You know, it really has been the nine circles of hell. Tom and the gang kind of circle around all these horrors that are creeping up all around them, witnessing torture and metamorphosis, uh, betrayal, lust, anger, sorrow, and and they just kind of move in and out of that, avoiding it as they can, kind of like Dante as he's moving through the nine circles of hell and witnessing everything that's going on around him. And and here under, when they're bur- when Tom and Dingan are buried under the rubble, Dingan says to him, "We are being punished, Tom. Even if we find a way out, it will be all for what to find everyone dead." And Tom says, "You're right. I'm well." You, and then he says, "You know, you have to have hope. Don't ever say that again." And Dingan says. You must be lying to yourself. Tom says, you're right, I am lying to myself. I lie to myself every day, sometimes every minute of every day. (laughs) Point being, (laughs) it's just, there's just so much irony here if you're looking at it through the lens of Dante's Inferno because while Dingan might be in one of the nine circles of hell for something like negligence in allowing his son to die, (laughs) Tom would be at an even deeper layer of hell because he considers himself a liar and liars reside at a deeper level of hell. So even though he is the hope that is telling Dingan to stick in it and, you know, don't come, don't bring him down with him, he would actually be at a deeper layer of hell than Dingan would. But anyway, I found that interesting. But also just in terms of what we see going on with uh, that warehouse over with Lexi and Ben and kind of the stages everybody is at. I really liked that parallel (laughs) to just, you know, and and we've kind of, I think even at the beginning of this episode, I was thinking how much of it is kind of like lost in the final season, you know, just how they're kind of, they're really just trying to figure out why they're back and whatever. And it, in almost in, Oh, sorry. Thinking of the scene when um, Richard is like, we're all actually dead. (laughs) You know, just, how can you mistake reality for being something other than what it is, and yet when everything around you is so completely hopeless? Mm-hmm. That's Sorry, a, that was a really long ramble. That was really um, quite excellent, Emily. That that uh, definitely helps shape my perspective of the episode in a more positive light. Well, that's good. Um, yeah, but I didn't catch all that, and I don't know that the average viewer would cuz i'm a pretty average viewer i mean those those all that stuff that you just mentioned you you mentioned this was a big literary uh, episode for you and you know i think the average listener or viewer is just going to get lost on that i don't think they're going to pick up on on that sort of thing so and maybe that's i don't know i but yeah. but now that i have you to help show me the way <laughs> I, I i appreciate your your insight on that well i all, i know that i make a lot of stretches to literature that might not actually be there but i think you can also find literary references in everything because as mm. we've both said many times there is nothing new under the sun all of this is coming from somewhere we've made countless biblical references to lexi being like jesus in a lot of way just in her journey and so I don't, I, sometimes you have to stretch it, but all the other times, you know, it fits in kind of nice. And if you're looking for it <laughs> or if you're ready for it, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, cool. I'm so glad you, you've enlightened us. Uh, but having said that, I did feel like Dingon was still a little bit weepy, a little bit whiny in this episode. Um, and in this particular scene that we're, we're moving into here, where mm-hmm. once Dingon is freed, and they realize that they are underneath the beamer 
Tom says that there must be a hatch somewhere. And I mean, I don't know what he's basing that on. I mean, not hmm. not only does there not necessarily have to be a hatch, but, you know, most of that Beamer was trapped or, or you know, they, they seem to be in a pretty small space and that Beamer was pretty big. So what I thought was even more unrealistic was the, that if there was a hatch, okay, fine, maybe there is a hatch. But you would happen to be in the area where that hatch would be exposed, and then all of a sudden, there it is. And then there's this. Tom seems to know more than I th- think he should about the way these things work. It just was a stretch to me again. Yeah. Not that I'm beating it up, but it's just enough of this stuff where I was going, man. There again, I don't understand where they jumped to that conclusion, or that was a little bit too convenient. But yeah, or why the hatch allowed them to climb up into the beamer. But then everything was right side up, unless the hatch just means let you come in from the bottom, mm-hmm. I suppose. And maybe that's more uh, alien cannon to <laughs> enter a spaceship through the bottom. I guess the other Shvini ships that we've seen have one of those, what do you call them, They're... platforms that just drop down so you can climb on from the bottom. So, mm-hmm. hmm. Yeah. It just seemed a yeah. bit bit convenient. That's all. So they that that's why it bothered me. Um, you know, the alien thing that got into Tom's arm was pretty, <laughs> pretty nasty. <laughs> pretty nasty. Yeah, there's a word for it. Pretty nasty. Uh, that, and I don't know what the purpose of that was. I mean, he got bit in the arm, and then Dingon got it out. So we'll see if there's some lingering effects from that. But I wasn't really sure what the whole purpose of that was. Well. You know, the funny thing is, when he is trying to find the control panel underneath the hatch, and he sticks his hand into that crevice, yeah, and he thinks that he's getting bitten, and he probably is, I actually, I had actually thought that that, the first time I watched it, that the thing was already starting to get inside of his arm uh-huh. at that time, and then when he got up on top, it had activated or something, but, so whatever it was, bit him. Right. So, that is, was that outside of the ship? Or was that part of the ship that he was digging into? Well, I think it might have been part of the ship because he mentioned that the electrical lines were a sort of organic thing or something like that, right? Oh, yeah. So I I thought maybe the ship itself has some sort of living entity inside of it or it is a living entity of some some Hmm. capacity. I was confused. That would make a lot more sense because after they climb in and he puts his hand against whatever that substance is, that's when the thing actually gets injected into his arm. So I'm going, is this a security system or is this, are these pets? I mean, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they probably react differently to humans than to Mm -hmm. the Ashveni, but Hmm. is there a purpose like an eye worm or is there a purpose as some sort of security system or yeah, some sort of a security system. I don't know. Yeah. Because I, I don't think it's altogether pointless, but it would be nice to know why they're there. And maybe we'll still find out because I don't think we've seen the end of the ship, right. you know, <laughs> but, uh, I think that if they're, if they're going to try to do anything with the ship, they've got to figure out what those things are before they do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting biomechanical. That's the word that's being biomechanical. Yeah, I yeah. like it. And and then the the other thing I'll I'll complain about here, and then we'll we can move on. Is is the whole, um, oh the 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 bomb. You know they so the Tom puts his hand up against the side yeah. of the ship, 
it triggers the bomb. They call it the payload. They say, oh, I guess it didn't drop all of its payload. Well, the payload is not dropped from, I mean, not that the alien ship has to be like our ships, of course, but it just seemed like an odd place for the placement of a payload would be inside the actual ship and not part of some sort of cargo bay. Maybe they were in a cargo bay. I don't know. It just looked odd to me. They didn't seem to be in a cargo bay, although I'm not sure where they were on this ship. It seemed to be more of a, uh, again, a defense mechanism than a, than a payload. So that, I didn't know what to do with that. That, That's the only thing. It didn't make sense to me. Again, nitpicky, not too big of a deal, just another one of those things that didn't seem to fit. What was confusing to me is why they why they immediately thought it was a payload. Yeah. The symbol itself kind of looked familiar, but that could just be because we're getting familiar with Ashveni sure. symbols. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing very descriptive of it descriptive of it being like a bomb. I mean, not in our language anyway but it it looked like an animal it looked almost like the thing that had gotten into tom's arm <laughs> mm-hmm. so when it started beeping why did they automatically think that it was a bomb right just because it was beeping i guess because it did sound like a heart monitor and i thought i honestly thought that after dingon's story that they were like like a something was going to open <laughs> and something was going to walk out yeah. alive <laughs> Oh, it was a heart monitor. Somebody has woken up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did it occur to you that it was the same sound of, as a heart monitor before Dingon shared his story? No. I, I'm going, I don't know what that sound is, but it doesn't sound like a bomb is about to go off. Same here, yeah. And then when he said a heart monitor, I'm like, oh, that's exactly what yes! that sound is. And then it started speeding up, and I was like, yeah, I could see yeah, that. Yeah, And, you know, oddly enough, that made me appreciate it less because <laughs> it seemed like it was only in there so he could tell the story and I didn't care about the story I didn't need to hear that story I actually I actually didn't mind the story and not because I really liked the story but that it kind of it brought his character a little bit more depth and maybe why he's jumping from ghetto to ghetto and not able to sustain himself on his own mm-hmm. you know he he's just ridden with all of this guilt but it also explains why we haven't gotten any backstory from him until now because yeah. he's been lying to everybody or misrepresenting himself. Well, but, yeah, I suppose. I mean, about because they thought his family died after the attack yes, and that wasn't the case. That's what he had told them anyway. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, he's he, this is the first time probably since his family died that he has really connected with another group of people. and. Mm-hmm. He, he connected with Denny in the previous episode and watched her heal miraculously. Right. And now he finds himself connected to these people and caring again. And it's bringing back all of these things that he's done. And he probably thinks that he doesn't even deserve being here, which again is a callback to Dante's Inferno where you're kind of just tormented for eternity, having to suffer through the sins of your life on earth. Sure. But, And it does call back to, I think it was uh, Exodus this season when Tom was telling him that this is basically a family that we have here. And that's definitely coming into light. And that Dingon Mm -hmm. is seeing that now. And that's nice. That's very, very nice. So, well, the the Beamer was kind of like a TARDIS, though. It was bigger on the inside than (laughs) I certainly expected it to be. I loved, what was Tom's line? I was expecting bucket seats. Yeah, something. Yeah, he said something about bucket seats. Yeah. Why is it that it seems like... If you are a, a evil alien, I don't care what sci-fi show you're in, 
there's like it's dark and it's like it makes it's not laid out in any sort of way that would make sense like you know the starship enterprise and and other things that are the good guy ships even if they're they're alien uh, in nature it seems like they're they're organized and bright and clean but if you are an evil alien then you you don't know anything about order or cleanliness <laughs> is it just me well it i think it really depends on the the species of aliens per, um presented because these the species this their biology seems much more ant like on a large scale you know they're really large ants and they uh, it reminded me of the the planet described in Ender's game of the buggers i can't remember what species there are but they're essentially ants as well okay. or ant like creatures with a hive mind kind of like the Ashveni seem to be and it just seems like they're they're cavernous, cavern cavernous. I can't cavernous, say the word. Cavernous, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cavernous, in that they kind of uh, make a web out of their surroundings, and nothing is really sectioned off. But you know, like when when you're looking at an ant farm through one of those clear glass plates, it, it's kind of what it reminds me of, and mm. you know, a lot more high tech. But it seems they, they've done a really good job. We've said it all along. Of, of making the Ashveni culture consistent throughout the series in in how their ships are laid out and whatever yeah. but yeah. and they're very they're very distinct in that too they're not Star Trek they're not Star Wars the you know the closest thing <laughs> they're not even Galaxy Quest <laughs> <laughs> the closest thing I can compare it to is oh I guess I did see the movie but um is uh, the, the the written description of the buggers in Ender's Game and just like how they colonize and destroy themselves essentially and spread mm. out over the galaxy. But Well, it does remind me of a Klingon ship, but where it's just kind of dark and what seems to be a, a, a laid out in a way that wouldn't necessarily make sense to us. But I don't, it was just an observation. Mm. It, was just, yeah. it, just, it hadn't really occurred to me before, and it really should have, because this was not by a long shot the first time we had seen the inside of an Ashvini ship, but somehow, for some reason, this, this time it occurred to me. Yeah, but it's a good point. It seems usually that whenever there's darkness, it's associated with evil, especially on this show, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. not necessarily evil, but depression, darkness, uh, etc. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely some symbolism there. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, oh, we skipped over Wolf Bites um, feedback. He said to Tom, "Stop touching things." Which, <laughs> that's good advice. That was the entirety of his email. So yeah. thank you, Wolf Bite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what. At least that's what I was assuming he was referring to. But <laughs> well, I wasn't sure. I, I saw where you put it in the notes, and I'm like, that's got to be what he was talking about. Very good. If you don't give us any context, Wolf Bite, we can just stick it anywhere. So That's I right. could have put it down by Ben and Maggie, I suppose. <laughs> or uh, Pope and Sarah. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> he was touching some stuff, I'm pretty sure. Time out here. So <laughs> they get done digging uh, Bennett's grave, yeah. piling rocks on it, yeah. and then pretty much do it right on top yeah. of the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> that, what what I thought was even worse than that was they've probably just handled a dead body and didn't go wash anything, you know. And it's like it was decomposing. There were flies, and I'm like, 
Nothing says, hey, baby, like we just buried a halfway composed dead body together. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, well, uh, and it just occurred to me in this episode that Tom's clothes really have not changed all season, if not well before. I mean, he's still got that same white shirt on with the black vest. He's got the Han <laughs> he Solo look going on. on. The black vest. <laughs> <laughs> that he was wearing as president in Charleston. So yeah. I don't think anybody has really changed clothes or bathed in. Mm, I guess when bit. you stink that bad, you can't really tell yourself from the dead body you just buried. So there's your answer. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> All right. All right. Are we ready to talk about what's happening with Maggie? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about Maggie. This. Okay. And I think this really just set me off in the wrong mood from the very beginning. You know, with this show, they don't say, stay tuned for scenes from next week's episode or next week on Falling Skies or anything. They just, mm-hmm. the episode ends and boom, you have to be quick on the draw to uh, n- to miss the previews. So at least, I, I wa- and I watch it online. I watch it on TNTdrama.com. Mm-hmm. So... Again this week I I couldn't switch the channel or turn the turn the hit the close on the on the internet tab fast enough and I saw the preview for next week and I and I was like purposefully not trying to do it because what they showed in the preview for last week after last week's episode for this week's episode was Maggie on a table chest down getting spikes put into her and them glowing we got what? all of that in the preview last week. Oh, so this whole bit gosh. about her being a dead at the end of the episode last week, I knew the answer to that. This whole bit about her being uh, uh, um, paralyzed. paralyzed and all that stuff, it was all spoiled. So as soon as they were trying to oh, to oh. play this up, I was like, whatever. This isn't know. even dramatic. You know, you, you ruined this for me last week. So I Bummer. think that really might be half the reason that I didn't like this episode because all the stuff they were trying to build up was spoiled to me already. And I didn't, okay. for whatever that's worth. Well, I can totally understand that then because I definitely have been there. Smallville, they used to do that with Smallville all the time. Give away the punchline and then you'd have to see how it all builds only to not be surprised. But what, I mean, I, I guessed almost immediately as soon as I saw her lying in the rubble. I, <laughs> I knew she wasn't dead. <laughs> I didn't need a preview to tell me that. Right. But I knew almost immediately that they were going to put Ben's spikes into her. I don't know why. Okay. But I think it may be because they had started talking about extracting fluid from Denny and then I was like, no, they're going to they're going to they're going to do something between the two of them. I I don't know if I even thought that it, they would transplant spikes, but some some sort of connection there. But I liked the approach to this, and I found Hal's behavior through it all to be very interesting because the last couple of weeks I've been talking about how he seems, his behavior seems contradictory to the lessons he's been learning while with the second mass, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and again this week, he seems so erratic, and I understand that it's emotional that the woman he loves is lying there, possibly paralyzed, and she's telling him to let her go. And the right. rest of us are singing Never Let You Go by Third Eye Blind. And as she's lying there and telling him to let her go, he's ready to do anything. He's going to let 
he's going to let Den- Denny take that risk. <laughs> I mean, she says, Denny says to Anne, you know, Maggie would do it for me. And Hal essentially says at that point, so it's a done deal then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he there's, does. There's not, there's not a single word there about, I don't know, man, this, this seems really risky. I love Maggie, but <laughs> it's just, okay, let's do it. Well, and I wasn't really sure if Maggie would do it for Denny because we haven't really seen them going out for lattes very often. So I'm like, well, I mean, Maggie's yeah. a nice girl and all, but I mean, w- w- you guys really? I don't know. Maybe she would have. It just didn't seem like it was that clear cut of a decision to me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it just has to do with fighting together, compadre. Yeah. And it, it goes back to the compadre. family thing. Like I said, I didn't yeah. think that was too much of a stretch. I really didn't, but it just. Um, now I, you know, I, I actually didn't have the same take on Hal this week that you did. I, I I thought that Hal acted about like you would expect if you were in his position, he's probably feeling some remorse over the last conversation that he had with Maggie. And that was the love conversation. That's right. Doesn't want that to be their last, um, conversation and, and, and in a twist of irony, it's the love he has for her that's pushing him to make these decisions to sacrifice potentially other people so that she can be, you know, saved potentially. So, yeah. you know, and I think that that's, that's what anybody would do in, mm-hmm. in his situation. If Anne were in that situation well, and it were Lexi or something, she would have done the exact same thing. Maybe Anne, but can you really see yourself in that situation putting Denny at risk just to save someone who wants to be well, I guess at that time they hadn't asked her for her yeah, permission yet. But Denny's there to to make that decision on her own. If Denny's willing to do it, and she probably feels like because she just got healed really fast from the wound that she had the day before, the night yeah. before, so she probably feels like it's a reasonable risk that she's taking. I guess I would have expected. I would have. I don't know if I would have done this actually, but. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I I think I'm just being too particular, but it just seemed like Hal went, he was very, he, I mean, he didn't even question it when, when Ben offered up his spikes, you know, and that's his own brother. And they know that the risks involved in removing spikes, you know, so it just, it seemed very, I mean, every episode, he just seems to do a 180 around every moral obstacle in their path. But I also think that it makes for very good drama and it makes his character so interesting. And I just, I cannot wait to see where this whole transplant spike thing goes in the next couple episodes, just because of how we know the spikes interact with each other when they aren't from the same person. And now three of them are in Maggie. Yeah. I mean, you got to imagine they're going to be connected on some level. You mean Ben and, uh, and Ben Maggie. and Maggie? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Hal? And how do you think Hal interpreted Ben's comment when he says, "I didn't do it for you"? <laughs> he definitely knew. Yeah. He definitely yeah. knew because at the end there, you know, when when uh, Hal reveals to Maggie that it was Ben who saved her life, he kind of walks off and <laughs> says, "Ben did a heck of a job, didn't he? Saving Maggie. Yeah. <laughs> he saved my girl. He's gonna get her now." Well, I'm I sure he's just so. worried that Ben likes her. Well, I, I, as he should. He should. Obviously, we oh, yes. know Ben does. We don't know if Maggie feels the same way, but it wouldn't surprise me if if she does. The old love triangle, that seems to always work well for shows anyway. 
right? <laughs> and <laughs> one where there's two brothers involved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think we all agree, though, both of us, and it seems like the chat room does too, that that uh, Maggie getting the spikes, even though I thought it was it was completely far fetched. <laughs> Can I even say that about this show? I don't know. <laughs> no, you can't. Um. Yeah, I guess I can't. Never mind. But, but, it's not even point, that far of a leap, is it, for you? No, no, it's not. It, it's it's not that. It just seemed like it was maybe too convenient. Might be the right word because again, we the Volm just happened to have this field kit that would do this. I don't know. Again, mm. is that too unbelievable? No, it certainly isn't. But no, because they were the ones that provided and with the machine to do it in the first place. I know. It just seemed like all this stuff kind of came out of nowhere all at the same time. I think that's the thing that bothered me so much, but not not a a huge thing. But I think we all do agree that now we've got three spiked, I was going to say kids, or none of them are kids anymore, three spiked people. And this could be a good thing, though. I mean, it could be a bad thing. Obviously, Ben and Denny have had times where they are subject to the aliens. This week, Mm -hmm. Ben was another, you know, had another... Uh, case of that with Lexi but at the same time it really helps them too so this this could be a good thing yeah no I think it's a great thing because there's been so little done with the spikes since that early season three episode when they were giving the kids the option to remove them you know Mm. Ben has always had them but they really haven't been well I guess they have been pretty well utilized this season and and I think one of the most interesting things is that Maggie has witnessed how the spikes have really hurt him this season you know with the with the connection he had with Monk whatever and as he as Monk was getting beaten he was getting injured and and just being able to see how she has even come to care for Ben, even as a little brother, if if nothing else. She's gonna have to learn to live with these spikes, if you know, if if unless they <laughs> turn on her by the next episode or whatever. But if not, even with three spikes, you gotta. If she is on her feet, walking around, you gotta think that those are going to have at least half the effect that Ben has, or half the superpowers that Ben has. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's a, it's a, um, it's a very interesting thing. The thing that yeah. did bother me the most, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I have to go back here. Oh, it's okay. Why? I didn't understand. I d- yeah. I didn't understand why these spikes made noise. They're like, meow, meow, meow. they made the same noise that the little thing in, in Hal's arm made. And it's like the go-to alien yeah. noise. Kind Maybe of like they creatures themselves. Yeah. And I don't know why I didn't, uh, that I just thought it was odd. I didn't, I don't know. Well, that would be interesting because the harnesses themselves were creatures. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if the spikes are like the creature's tentacles. Because mm-hmm. if they're, I'm trying to come up with a word here, but if they're organic, I guess, if the spikes are organic and they harden on the outside of a person's anatomy and are still very organic on the inside or whatever, they could almost be the ones that are constantly feeding them. Because, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. I like that, though. I like that they were alive on the inside because it, it, it makes them more, I don't know, almost almost worrisome, but also very 
interesting. Like they're not, they don't just get stuck in there and that's all they do. They're actually alive and active on the inside of Ben's body. Mm-hmm. And you have to think long-term too, when this is all said and done, because I think, I think we would all agree that next season when Falling Skies comes <laughs> to an end, that the good guys are going to win. And I mean, you would hope so. And although right now you don't know how in the world that's going to happen, but let's presume the good guys are going to win. Humanity prevails. What are they going to do? What is Ben and, and Denny mm-hmm. and Maggie going to do? Are they going to, at that point, say, well, I'm going to keep my spikes in because they give me these superpowers, which is the decision they made in the past. Mm-hmm. And if they decide to take them out, then is Maggie going to have to make that decision to take them out at the risk of becoming a quadriplegic again you know so it'll be a really interesting thing if that does circle back around to that point that's really interesting because they were talking about when they were having the option to get them removed uh lordis told ben and denny that denny would probably have to start wearing her glasses again and ben would have to start carrying around his inhaler oh, so, i forgot about that yeah so yeah they're they're uh abnormalities or whatever you want to call them they're defects mm-hmm would probably return, which would mean most likely that Maggie would still be paralyzed. Yeah. And that yeah. makes it even more uh, likely that the harnesses, that the spikes are organic on the inside, at least to me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Very mm. interesting. Very I just, interesting. you know, there, uh, despite, despite not liking this episode, there are some really cool mythology pieces to the Ashveni that I just find fascinating mm-hmm. all throughout. Just very, very unique to me. I, I mean, I'm not very well versed in the sci-fi world. I mean, I've never seen Star Trek even, but <laughs> at least in, you know, in terms of what I have seen, I don't really feel like I've seen anything like this before. Yeah. No, I agree with that. At least not, I mean, there, there are some threads here and there, but this is a, a definite, um, A lot of unique things in this show, for sure. Yeah. All right, what's left on our agenda here? Well, I wasn't sure if you did the fun fact part yet. Oh, yeah. So Greg Beeman said he didn't have a lot of time to write a full-out blog, but he did mention that he he walked onto the set while Ben and Maggie were recording that scene where they're uh, writhing in sync on the table. And he said that that was all them, that they that they had gotten no direction from anyone that they just coordinated that and they were in the zone hmm. and pretty much took that scene and made it their own. So I thought that was kind of cool. They just kind of synced up. Well, that's cool that they would just come up with that on their own. It, it made for a really cool effect with them writhing like that. Right. Cause as, as opposed to either, I don't know what your options are there. If it's, if, if it would be CGI or if it would be mm-hmm. moving the table in sync. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, Maggie makes it out alive. They're out pouring out drinks, and then she shows back up, slaps Hal, then kisses Hal. And I loved Anne's line. This is my favorite line <laughs> of the entire episode. Well, she's back to normal. <laughs> uh, speaking of Anne, that yeah. conversation at the end there, Tom, I can't remember if Anne initiates that by saying, we got to go after Lexi. But at the very least, it comes to the point where t- Tom is saying to her, We've got there. There are a bunch of people here who have not betrayed us. They need us, and we need them pretty much. What was your impression of Anne's reaction? 
You mean where she says that she still isn't giving up and she's still planning on going after Lexi? Yeah, like because she didn't actually answer him. It kind of sounded, it kind of looked like she might have agreed with him, but not agreed with him in the motherly sense of the way. Like she can agree with him on a very pragmatic basis, but not in the terms of what she really wants to do. So my question, I guess, is do you think she is going to accept what Tom is saying and stay? Or is she, are we going to wake up with the next episode and find her missing going well, after Lexi? In that case, the preview kind of spoiled at that, I think. So, but the impression that I got was that she will stay with Tom in, in the second mass, but at the same time, looking for a window of opportunity to go after Lexi, like a mother would and, and should. Uh, and I, I think that yep. she, she needs to not close that door on Lexi yet. Mm. That they need someone needs to still have hope for Lexi, yeah. and there's no better person than than uh and at this point ben seems to have lost his hope for her so yeah i was okay with all that actually okay yeah i, I was it. too i i mean i thought you know this season Anne and tom have totally been on their game in terms of their relationship i guess it's only been the last couple of episodes <laughs> that they've actually been together but um yeah <laughs> uh i was gonna jump back to lexi sorry that we've been all over the place tonight but the last scene with Lexi when Ben leaves her and she uh-huh. stands and looks over the railing and she gets a voiceover memory from Monk. She gets a voiceover memory from Ben and then from Monk again. What do you think was going on there? I don't have any in- insight. I, I wasn't sure exactly what those were for for you to say one was Monk and then one was Ben. One was Monk. I didn't make that connection. I, that I'm, I, you're probably right, but for me, I didn't remember exactly what those. I couldn't figure out exactly what those were. Was it all a memory? Was she actually hearing that in real time from somebody? I was confused by that, so I, I was. I wasn't. I, I couldn't process it because I didn't know what it was. Sure, I thought it was her remembering contradictory statements that Monk was telling her how things were going to be one way. That she was the agent of peace. He, she was their agent of peace. And then Ben's words resonated with her. He said, go ahead, make me your slave. And, and then I, I can't remember hmm. which of Monk's voiceovers played next, but I, I interpreted it as her memory trying to balance out those two things. And it almost seemed to me like she was starting to second guess what she was doing. And I, I don't right. know. I don't yeah. know if it was because, I mean, I want to think it's because Ben came after her and showed her deep love, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. And that and that love, and then combined with his words about making him her slave, were contradictory to what Monk had been promising her that this would be. And she's looking out over this torture chamber, wondering, are these people actually free, or are they going to be my slaves? Well, and Ben's comment about this isn't evolution, this is genocide, is exactly right. And I think that was an important comment for him to make while they're visually looking at it. Like, look at what you're, what is happening here. Yes. This isn't evolution. This is genocide. And yeah. it, maybe it depends on your perspective, but, you know, it was just a really valuable, valuable comment. And I hope that that one sunk in with her, too. Yeah. So I don't know if it if it'll happen immediately, but I I'm 
skeptically optimistic mm-hmm. that that we might be seeing uh, that that might have been the top of her arc with the Ashveni and that she might well, be coming so. down from that. I wonder if there'll be a visual clue in her eyes. I mean, you see her eyes in every episode, of course. Mm-hmm. Anytime they do a tight shot, you're going to see her eyes. But, you know, they're they're dilated all the time. and, and Stimulated by everything around her, yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and you, I, I want to say there's even a, a symbolism there in that her eyes have been opened. But in this case, I think the opposite of that would be true. If we if we see her at some point and her eyes are not are no longer dilated, then in that sense, her eyes yeah. have been opened maybe. Interesting. So. Huh. Oh, I, I like after I, I don't know. I, I'm really excited for to see what happens <laughs> next because at this point, what did she say? She was starting her training. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. Whatever that means. Whatever that means. But, oh man, I can't wait for more. Yeah. Well, we got some good comments in here from Barb. Let's play some of that. Uh, this is what Barb had to say. We'll listen to a couple here. Ben had some thoughts on, or Barb had some thoughts on Ben and Lexi. So let's hear that one first. Ben seems to have stopped fighting for Lexi after she has finied him into following her to the reprogramming evolution center. When she said, I didn't ask you to follow me, but now that you're here to Ben, I thought she must have had a memory lapse. He only followed her outside the city ruins, but she pulled him the rest of the way. The reprogramming area was just horrifying. The fire, the screams, the evil skitters. I found a painting which depicted hell online that had elements that were similar to what we saw on the screen, but it didn't have a name, and I'll let Emily find this one with her Google expertise. But you did a pretty good job on that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's listen to what Barb also had to say about Anne and Lexi. Anne was crushed by Ben's disclosures about Lexi, but it was clear from her conversation with Tom that she isn't giving up. I'll be watching for her to peel off from the team to find Lexi herself and putting either both herself and potentially everyone else at risk. So she kind of got the vibe you did there. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you, Barb, for agreeing with me. I'm I'm (laughs) proud to agree with you on something. (laughs) Well, she didn't say. Don't even go there. I cut it out probably. I'm, I'm sure she said it and maybe she forgot to mention it. It was that then Ben would follow her and then Ben would die. That's what she meant to say. I was starting to write into the show notes that that Maggie having a couple of Ben spikes means that he's not going to die. Uh-huh. But I then I realized it probably means that he's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> She'll have so to give the spikes back she... to him. <laughs> right. That's not uh, confusing. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah, right. no, I definitely hope so too, Barb. Are we ready to talk about the final scene? I I am. I don't know okay. about you. I think that's where we're at here in, okay. in, with everything. We've covered everything else. So this happens right after Hal gets all mopey and because Ben saved Maggie, not him. Tom goes after him and then... The Beamer, when this is where we get to really see how big the Beamer is. It was much bigger then than I thought it was when they went into it. And I, at this point, yeah. I, I was going, man, it was bigger than I thought. Well, now we see it lighting up like crazy, and they both see the green light on the moon. Light. Yeah. And once again, the question is, does the light originate from the moon, or is it being cast onto the moon? What do you think? I th- oh cast onto the moon. I think it has to be 
Gosh, I hadn't thought about that. Remember the last time we saw it, we thought, well, it could be something that was in between Hal's perspective oh, yeah. and the moon. That's right. That's and right. I think that is definitely out of the picture now because his position has changed. And it would just seem a little bit too convenient if he just happened to be in the same yeah. middle, you know, whatever area. Um, but, is, but as far as what you're asking, is it being like beamed off of the moon or is it coming from the moon? I think it's coming from the moon. I do too, I think, because as I'm thinking this over, I'm going, you would be able to see the light going up. If you would think so. Were, That's true. That yeah. just doesn't seem likely because it seems like they saw the light and mm -hmm. then the lights on the ship illuminated. Yeah. It was some sort of communication device or, I mean, the ship came on after. Did it actually turn on? The lights did. The lights did. Huh? Yeah. Which, which is why I say we're not going to see the end of the ship. Right. Exactly. Is it going to like rise up, you know, like uh, Echo, what's the Earth to Echo did at the end? Of course, it kind of came out in a lot of different pieces, but what's you haven't Earth seen Earth to Echo? Echo? It's a movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe it'll rise up like a thing with feathers. <laughs> Maybe it will. <laughs> Maybe it will. Well, we got some thoughts on this on Barb, too, and I was kind of hesitating on some of the words I chose because I didn't want to steal her thunder. But So let, let's listen to what Barb had to say about the alien ship. The alien ship was intriguing. It had blue lights around its hatch before its self-destruct device was activated. It seems to be a living thing, pulsating veins as we've seen before when our heroes have been held captive. And just like Lexi's cocoon, it seems to be directed by what I'm guessing is the Espini Command Center on the moon and protected by a version of this eye or skin worm. It could be another iteration of an Espini captive. Maybe that's what they turn into, spaceships. Wow. <laughs> I love that it's a command center. Mm-hmm. Lots of good thoughts, though. There. Lots of good thoughts. Thanks, mm -hmm. Barb. Yep. Hmm. A lot to mm -hmm. think about there. Mucho yeah. indeed. All right. Well, what was your episode rating for this, <laughs> this episode? I gave it 9.25 transplanted spikes, which I believe is my highest rating <laughs> ever. When I, when I saw your rating, I sent you a tweet and I said, your rating is about twice as what mine is right now. And really, it was about a four and a half or five right about that time. After I watched it today, I bumped it up to a seven. And no, no, that, was it a I think six? It was a six. I think it was a six. And then after talking with you throughout this episode, it is now up to a 7.5, which is not bad. Hey, not bad. that's pretty much my average rating for yeah. most of the episodes. So I consider that a success. <laughs> you, should, you should. I definitely like it a lot more now having spoken with you about it. So excellent job. Well done, Emily. Thank Barb, you. by the way, gave it eight Hershey chocolate bars. Oh, she's our healthy medium. <laughs> she is, isn't she? Or a happy she's, medium. If yeah. we're still. All right. Well, closing thoughts, questions for next week. I think we have to think about the alien ship, the, the final shot that we got there and what significance yep. it's going to play. And, uh, you know, like you said, is what's Anne going to do? And what's Lexi going to do? What is this training thing that she's going off to? Yeah, I think you hit on it. The three biggest questions rolling out from here are mm -hmm. how is Lexi going to affect what's coming for the humans? Is she going to take Ben's message to heart, final message to heart, or is she going to 
continue on with her training and become a foolish Finny. But really, right. I think I'm I'm most interested to see what the Beamer's purpose is going to serve for the second mass and what it has to do with the light on the moon. Hey, you never know. Will Smith could show up and he could climb into that Beamer and instantly know how to fly it. Why would the you, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air You come? haven't seen Independence Day. I remember this now. I tried to throw this joke Wait, at you once before. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is Will Smith the fr- Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Yeah. Okay, I thought so. I haven't actually seen it, but I figured you'd get the reference, so I wanted to say it. <laughs> My kids have seen Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. They could rap the entire song for you. How have you not seen the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? I was sheltered as a child. I see. Yes. Well, fine. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of sheltered, let's talk about the Twitter poll this week. That's sheltered, huh? I suppose I should play some music, though, before we do that. That'd be That would be lovely. Okay, our BC Twit question of the week was, what is the connection between the Moonlight and the Ashfeni ship? And we had Barb, a.k.a. Tangier14, says, Ashfeni Attack Command Headquarters is on the moon. I like it. I think we just talked about that. Mm-hmm. Wolfbite says, perhaps the attack ships are skitter lysanthropes. They seem pretty biological. What is a lysanthrope? I don't know. You're the smart one between the two of us. Lysanthrope. Anyway, uh, Wolfbite, next week you'll have to write in with more than a sentence and tell us what a lysanthrope is. Thank it's you. a humanoid shapeshifter based on various legends of lysanthropes, like werecats and other such things. Werecats. <laughs> like a werewolf. Oh, sure. And finally, Mickey Thomas 1 says, Duh, power source, tell the Volm quick. Well, I'm glad it's obvious to someone. I like that idea. I that do that like idea, the idea had not occurred to me until I saw Mickey tweet about it and I thought, oh, that's a really good idea. Because yeah. it did power up the ship or the ship seemed to power that's on true. in connection with it. That's true. The power source. So what all around the globe is being powered right now at the same time? And, and on the trapped? show or on in real life? On the show. Being powered all that around would, the world? The, the green wall things? Yes. Mm-hmm. Except those are being tethered by individual ships. Mm-hmm. Never mind, that might not work. Well, the Just thought the had occurred to me that, that the green light from the moon resembled the green light of the walls. Of the, mm-hmm. the ghetto So walls. there could be a connection there. All right. Still possible, mm. I suppose. Yep. Interesting. It is interesting. Next week should be interesting. It's entitled Till Death Do Us Part. Hmm. Huh. I wonder what that means. Well, that's that one a wedding will take a little thing. research. So I, what's a wedding? I'm it's like a you know ceremony. Is there gonna be a pirate ship? <laughs> there will probably be pirate ship jokes in our podcast. <laughs> It's probably going to be yeah. the most romantic wedding ever, like on a pirate ship. Or on a beach. I'll tell you what, just to, just to be sure, listeners, you should go over to goldenspiralmedia.com and click on the podcast link for TripleCast and then head over and listen to episodes, let's see, episodes 19, 20, and 21. Emily and I did those 
three podcasts about Pirates of the Caribbean, the first three movies in that series. So uh, if you want to hear our uh, understand our pirate jokes, that's your assignment for this week. But well, really, you just need to watch the, the or l- listen to the uh, third third one of those over the third Pirates movie. That's and where the jokes will come Especially if you actually liked the third movie. And if you agree with me, I would love to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> because Barb yeah. agrees with me and that's, you know, enough for me. But I don't yes. know. You'll, you'll, you'll understand the argument we had then. <laughs> yeah. It'll be fun. And a year later, we're still having it. <laughs> It'll never die. It's one of those things that can never go away now. Because we are so on opposite ends of that spectrum no. on that and neither of us will budge nope stubborn as we are stubborn as we are well stubborn as we are we will not budge either on reminding you of how you can be a part of this podcast you can participate in the bc twit twitter poll question by following us on twitter each week we will send out a twitter poll question on monday and tuesday you can respond by using the hashtag bc twit and we'd love for you to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash goldenspiralmedia. Yeah, because there are a lot of podcasts that we're putting out right now, stuff that's right going on here in the summer, but also stuff mm-hmm. that's starting up here in the fall that you don't want to miss out on. Last season, you know, we had um, Almost Human and Revolution that got canceled, and that left us with two, I guess, three current podcasts, even though Triplecast was kind of on break. I'll count that one. We had Stuff I Learned Yesterday and the We Have to Go Back, The Lost Podcast. Um, going into the fall, we're going to have 10 podcasts uh, at, at, at least here with Golden Spiral Media. I can't announce all of them yet, um, but the ones that have already been announced, of course, Stuff I Learned Yesterday, Triplecast, that's not including We Have to Go Back because that's going to end right about the time the new season starts with all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, that's going to be Stuff I Learned Yesterday, Triple Cast. We're still going to have Arrow, of course, uh, The Flash, which you are doing with that Brian Kane. Yeah. <laughs> I announced this week that Doug Payton and I are going to be doing Person of Interest. And I think that's all I can announce right now. But we have several that we'll probably be announcing between now and the time we record again. So it's an exciting time. We should probably have... At least nine, probably 10, maybe even 11 podcasts this fall for Golden Spiral Media. Pretty cool. That is so cool. I'm very excited. Yep. We would love to hear your thoughts on every episode, whether you have theories or comments about conversations that we've had. So you can do that by going to www.goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback, where you can upload an audio file or submit written feedback, either of which we would love to have. Or you can call our voice feedback line at 304-837-2278. And the deadline for that is Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time because our live show takes effect at 8 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays. Indeed. You know what? Putting the www on the beginning of a URL is kind of like a randomly exploding ship. It's completely unnecessary. But I like it. Of course you do. W cubed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff. Well, Emily, it's been a great a bit of fun chatting with yes, you about aliens again. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it again next week. Let's do it. All right. All right. So uh, until then, remember, it's always easy to get carried off by aliens. And resistance is never, ever futile. Unless it is.